Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer, today joined by Mr. Herman Pretorius. So let's start off with our first news item of today, and that is, of course, that tonight President Ramaphosa is going to be giving his State of the Nation address in Parliament, where he is uh, going to lay out his government's plans for the next year. It's expected to be a speech filled with lots of uh, popular and positive things that will hopefully, uh, in his eyes, win the ANC some votes in the upcoming election. But before we get into what Rob Pauza is actually going to say in the speech, I was kind of shaking my head at some of the more mainstream analysis. I was looking at the Eyewitness News story that we read uh, in preparation for this, and the Eyewitness News story decided to focus on Ramaphosa's likely uh, sort of trumpeting of South Africa's role in the International Criminal Court of Justice case against Israel as some sort of major win for the country. Um, they quoted a senior analyst, uh, a senior uh, political lecturer at the University of Pretoria, who said, quote, uh, this is a significant success for the administration. I expect the president will explain the complexity of the case and the in- impact of the court's decision. Um, they also quoted the uh, head of a think tank saying, we are celebrating that as a country, as a collective, we've been able to do what most countries, even developed countries have failed to do, which is to take on Israel head on and arguably having achieved at least some of the things we wanted to achieve. Now, Herman, before we get into the rest of the content of the speech, I'm sure Ramaphosa will trumpet this as a victory, but It would be very strange if he did spend a lot of time on this issue because, according to the polling I've seen, most South Africans really don't actually care that much about this issue. Yeah, so I I think he he will be forced to put this out there as a positive. I mean, it's slim pickings for positives in the first place. But the numbers you and I have looked at, I mean, uh, it it just doesn't bear out that this is an issue South Africans care about. Now, at the IRR, we've been doing polling for the last, what, 15 years on the priorities of South Africans, and they remain remarkably stable. I mean, in the last few years, two particular sort of front of mind issues have come to the fore, and that's illegal immigration and gender-based violence. But for the rest, for the last decade, the priorities of South Africans have remained consistent. Unemployment, corruption, crime, uh, um, health care, housing, these are, you know, education, these are the top 10 issues, top five, top seven issues, always, uh, almost always. And then you get into the Social Research Foundation polling of a few months back that really showed this isn't a big issue for South Africans. And in a country where the last five years we've seen the cost of things like potatoes go up 80%, we've seen the cost of rice and white sugar go up between 40 and 60%. It, it, I mean, if these people were to for a moment consider what the average South African is going through um, with load shedding, with crime, with healthcare crises, with service delivery, they would realize that this is a positive possibly, but it is a purely political positive. It has very, very little cut through. And at the end of the day, the question is, you know, does this move the dial? Now, of course, this moves the dial for the ANC. This is a positive for the ANC. I think it burnishes Ramaphosa's leadership credentials in some way, even if it is through a rather ripple effect where people might not necessarily understand his position, but understand that he has led or his government has led on something. South Africa um, has looks to Ramaphosa and still considers him the most popular politician in the country. Um It opens up funding opportunities from left-leaning organizations and parties across the world. And, of course, there are also questions about, you know, less above-board funding. So it is politically relevant in the sense that it might assist the ANC 
um, in strengthening existing political assets like Ramaphosa's leadership or Ramaphosa's personality and uh, provide funds for a campaign. But the idea that ordinary South Africans will look past load shedding, past kids drowning in excrement, past the cost of living crisis and think, oh, well, at least we taught the Zionists to lesson. I'm voting ANC. I, I just don't know which planet that is where those analysts come from that come to that conclusion. Yeah, no, I agree. This really seems out of touch. It seems very much like they're putting their own preferences. Maybe this is a case that, you know, they care about. Um, but that uh, I think most South Africans really, at the end of the day, don't that much. Okay, most so let's get South into the action. With due respect, won't be able to point out Gaza on a map. Um, so it's the true. idea that this is a massive vote winner, it's just naive. It is, it is, it is ivory tower political thinking of the worst kind. Oh, exactly. But uh, let's let's dive a little bit into um, some talk around surveys and also what that suggests Ramaphosa might say in a State of the Nation address. So um, yesterday we talked about the Ipsos survey um, on this on this topic, but uh, there's been another piece of information now it's come out that according to a presentation done by Standard Bank's chief economist, um, uh, the Standard Bank's projections for the next election is that the ANC will drop below 50%, getting 47.5% of the vote, the DA about 23%, and the EFF staying stagnant at about 11%. And this is broadly in line with a lot of polling done by other organizations, including by us um, at the Institute of Race Relations, um, with regards to uh, what the electoral fortunes are for the ANC next uh, in, in the next couple of months. Um, Herman, firstly... You know, do you agree with the Standard Bank assessment? Um, and secondly, what do you think Roman Pauza might say in Sona as a way to try and, um, you know, reverse this trend and get the ANC above 50%? Those numbers strike me as very realistic. At this current point in time, it would probably align within a percentage point uh, or two of where my gut feel, looking at the polls, looking at the development of you know, news stories and public narratives since the polls were done. Um, that that strikes me as broadly right. Um, currently, I would say the, the DA is probably polling a bit higher and the ANC is polling a bit lower. But the election campaign hasn't started yet. And the DA sometimes does have a stumble in its election campaigns. And the ANC is a formidable machine, how, no matter how you look at it. But that being said, um, the the analysis um, has been heading in this direction for 10 years. I mean, our erstwhile CEO, Franz Cronier, has said, you know, the three mega trends of education, age um, and urbanization indicate that 2024 will be the moment where the ANC lose their 50 percent majority. So that shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. I think we should still reserve some caution. There might still be a chance that we see a change in government in Gauteng, Natal, but not necessarily nationally. The ANC might just eke out a 50% win. It depends on quite a few factors, possibly the strongest of them being load shedding. So in the end, I think these numbers are accurate. I, I, I don't know enough of the Ipsos methodology to delve into why that might be wrong, but I do think those numbers do strike me as quite outlying of the overall gist of where politics seem to be. Also, we must understand that the we are now in the month where the ANC, the EFF, and the DA will be setting out their manifesto stores. This weekend, it's the EFF. Next weekend, it's the DA. And the weekend after that is the ANC. We are now in campaign mode. So the polls from this point on, on become the moment where the political parties deliberately engage the electorate that's when you should start caring about the trajectory of where these movements happen.
And uh, as for Sona, what do you think Roman Forza is going to talk about? What kind of things is he going to say if he wants to, uh, let's say, align Sona with the ANC's expected manifesto? Well, I do think that the raising of the minimum wage, the NHI, and the expansion of social grants will m- must be the successes that he you know, posits as deliverable because they have, quote-unquote, a track record of success in that regard. I think there's a very much a cat-and-mouse game with the NHI. He's, my gut feel is Ramaphosa is not going to sign it before the election because nationalized healthcare polls surprisingly well. So he can use it as sort of a boondoggle saying, look, my pen's on the paper. If you don't vote for me, the pen might never touch the paper. So it will be at least ideologically consistent. It will be good old socialist left-wing stuff where it is the state taking a stronger role in favor of a redistributive agenda. So those are probably the three things we should watch out for. What does he say on the NHI? What does he say on the minimum wage? And what does he say on the rolling out or, or of grants? For a year now, we've had this discussion about a basic income grant. I do think the Treasury has dosed um, that idea with some uh, uh, realistic expectations of what there is in the fiscus. But unlike Mbeki, uh, this won't be a, a centrist sonar. There are no centrist successes. Centrist successes you can broadly consider is, did you roll out the, uh, the, the social welfare net as you said you would? Perhaps they did. But also, do you have a plan to pay for it? Uh, and it's it's there where the interesting speech for this month to me isn't necessarily state of the nation. It is the budget later this month. Uh, that's exactly right. Okay. Um, lastly, let's just move on to a completely different topic, um, although also relating to something that's going on in the Cape Town, and that is that the Henley and Partners BRICS Wealth Report suggests that Cape Town is going to see a lot of influx of wealthy people in the next couple of years. The report forecasts that uh, the, the, there will be um, some growth in South Africa, but one of the things they particularly uh, talk about that there being a positive development is the realm of high net worth individuals, basically millionaires, um, and that Cape Town in particular will see its number of millionaires grow significantly over the next decade, going from about 7,400 millionaires in 2023 to 13,500 uh, by 2033. Um, Herman, what do you make of this? Do you think this is a realistic prediction? Um, and if so, why? I think it's realistic for about three reasons. Number one, despite South Africans suffering under a cost of living crisis, South Africa remains proportional to the rest of the world, a relatively cheap country to live in. Um, for example, a country like the Netherlands. Um, in, in South Africa, the Average cost of living is about $850 a month. In the Netherlands, it's $1,850 per month. So compared to you know, the rest of the world, South Africa still um, is relatively affordable. I mean, that's one of the advantages of, of, of third world countries is that they can compete in that market. And especially if you're a particularly beautiful country with a particularly beautiful city like Cape Town, that is attractive just for the cost of living being globally relatively uh, cheap. The second issue is of, is, of course, that South Africa is a country of immensely high crime, rate, crime rates and socioeconomic ills and so on. But those are, in the end, actually quite 
they are still the two South Africans that Mbeki spoke of. I mean, most crime happens not to the upper millionaire class in society. They do sometimes fall victim, but mostly it is your cheaper or your lower class classes like you and me, Nick, and below us, where the crime issue really becomes a a, a real concern, a day-to-day concern. But if you are wealthy enough to isolate yourself behind massive security, a whole bunch of security guards, you know, you can live a a pretty safe life um, as a millionaire. And then the third thing I think that is one of the advantages that South Africans haven't yet fully taken advantage of is just our geographical position in terms of global time zones. South Africa has an overlap with a business day of almost everything from Tel Aviv to Reykjavik, from Israel to Iceland. We have this channel where the business day can be attached to South African time. So if you are an entrepreneur or you are a particularly successful businessman, you still want to keep an eye on your business that does most of its stuff on the African or European continent, South Africa or Cape Town isn't a bad place to be because it allows you to still be in touch with your business at a relatively low cost of living, a high quality of life if you can afford it and a safe one too. I think that last point in particular is a really key one. Also, the fact that we're in the Southern Hemisphere, which means that if you're a very rich person who lives in Europe, you can say, well, I don't really like the European winter, so I'm going to go spend summer. Uh, I'm going to go spend it enjoying the Southern Hemisphere summer in you know sunny Cape Town. Uh, and that is, um, you know, as you say, a great geographic advantage we have along with the time zones. It means that we could become the destination for a lot of wealthy sort of digital nomad types um, from mm-hmm. from uh, Europe uh, and Israel and Russia. If they're okay, well that... it will attract those type of people. Exactly. Um, particularly when it's, you know got nice views and nice sea and all that uh right so that's all the time we have for today we hope you found the show interesting that's a wrap